you starve the ego, feed the soul. I'm Nico Barraza. And on this week's episode, we have Lane Ballone. You can find Lane on Instagram at Increase Freedom. Lane is a veteran of Green Beret, Special Forces, and the U.S. Army. He's a curious explorer, harmonious creator, and enjoyer of the good stuff. Uh, I first met Lane through a mutual friend, Tori Gordon, who I'm sure a lot of you guys have listened to that episode. It's had a ton of rave reviews. Tori's a brilliant human being. And Lane is a close friend of Tori's. And she's like, you got to have my friend Lane on your show. He's perfect for it. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, always looking for, you know, interesting people to interview that have, you know, gone through a ton of growth, whether spiritual or relational in their own right. And I think Lane's unique perspective from being, you know, uh, spending a long time in the U.S. military uh, to, you know, redefining masculinity to finding love, falling in a relationship. Um, you know, he, he's a very well-spoken, um, brilliant individual. And I just really love the light he sheds on a lot of things throughout our conversation. Um, I will say that if you haven't already left us a five-star review on Apple, I hope you consider doing that. It really helps the show grow. And I really appreciate, you know, the couple of seconds it takes for you guys to do that. As well as if you have an episode that really resonates with you and you love it, please share it on social media. Helps us again, reach more people and more ears. And, um, you know, I, I love to have these conversations and I think a lot of people can get um, a good a good amount of things out of them. So if you share them, get it out there. We really appreciate that. And uh, just you being here is highly appreciated. So I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. I'll throw all the links to Lane's platform, social media. His book is called Humble, The Humble Alpha Book. And I will link to that in the show notes as well too. Um, hopefully you guys go check him out, show him some love as well. And without further ado, Lane Ballone. Well, dude, it's a pleasure to have you on, Lane. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to chat with you today. And uh, we have a mutual friend in, in Tori Gordon who introduced us, and she's a, she's a brilliant human in her own right. So I've heard great things about you. It's the first time I've gotten to chat face-to-face, and I'm excited to hear more about your story and, and what you got going on. 100%, yeah. Glad to be here and look forward to... So this is a long-form conversation hour hour and a half maybe yeah it's probably about an hour maybe a little bit over uh, you know whatever you can the time it's always about the guests you know i, I know people are on schedule so if they have to jump off no schedule I, I just uh i um i was on a show like a couple of days ago and just you know it was like an hour long and it was just like just getting started you know so i like the longer form stuff because that means you know just diving in deep and yep don't feel like we're rushed so where do you want to start with, do you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself and your story that we can get into how you got into what you're doing today? Because, you know, it's not common, I don't think for someone that, you know, is, uh, you know, coming from special forces to get into what you're doing, I'd say it's, it's, it's pretty uncommon. Would you, would you agree? I would say my path is very unique. Yeah. Yes. I would say so too, knowing, knowing a bunch of guys that have come out of that. So would you mind starting us off with, you know, a little bit of background on yourself and, and how you kind of got to be where you are today? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, a real small town, uh, famous at the time for the world's largest McDonald's <laughs> and the world's largest calf fry festival. So a lot of people are uh, familiar with Rocky Mountain Oysters. And so these are kind of like that, but for, for a young calf. So I uh, didn't really partake. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a small town and uh, had a lot of drive, had a lot of energy, ambition, but no real direction. I was in Boy Scouts, sports, and uh, it was about 
senior year or mid mid senior year, my buddy and I, AJ, we were like, Hey, what do we want to do when we get out of high school? And, uh, I was like, ah, maybe college. And he was like, have you heard of the army Rangers? And I'm like, Nope. (laughs) And, uh, so he's like, well, I think, I think we should, whatever we do, let's do it together. So we, uh, ended up playing rock, paper, scissors for our destiny. So if I won, we were both going to go to college. If he won, we were both going in the army. And so best two out of three, he won. And, uh, we both joined the military and uh, he's still in right now. You were 18 uh, when you played this game. Uncanny as that was, you know, it was the perfect step for me, especially in that chapter of my life. So you guys were 18 seniors in high school, basically when you played rock, paper, scissors to decide what you were going to do. Yeah, he was 18. I was 17. I turned 18 in basic training. (laughs) And where you went to Benning, I'm guessing. No, I was an Intel analyst when I first joined. So okay. I went to Fort Jackson. Okay. Uh, you know, they call it Relax in Jackson. And, you know, it was it was what it was. And yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, after that, I uh, did AIT in um, Arizona and uh, my first duty station was Germany. So that was the start of my kind of exploration of the world, traveling. And that's, that was something that really fed my soul. Yeah, it's, that's the one thing that the military, I think, provides is my grandfather was in the Air Force and, you know, he grew up in Texas and Nebraska and he had never left the country before, you know. And uh, so to provide for the 16 brothers and sisters he had, he, uh, you know, joined the Air Force. This is back in the, I think, the 50s or the 60s and was stationed in Korea. And, you know, it sort of changed his life because he got to see different cultures, different language, you know. Uh, so what was your experience like in Germany? How long were you there? I was there for about a year and a half uh, as my first duty station. Um, it was actually cut short um, because of um, me joining the, or training to become a Green Beret Special Forces. And so I was there for about a year and a half. And um, yeah, it was just a beautiful exploration. You know, young man, 18, 19 years old, you know, kind of out on his own for the first time and traveling and exploring and partying, you know, all the good stuff that you do as a young, young man. And, uh, you know, just had a wonderful time learning more about myself. And um, my grandma, she came and visited me and we did a Euro trip and we went from, we started in Germany and then we went down to uh, Switzerland. And uh, it was a really pivotal moment for me because it was, uh, it was like an, a, a small awakening, but for me, it was mm-hmm. huge at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we were at this uh, restaurant called Swiss Churchy. And just me and my grandma and then to the side of us, there was this older couple and they were talking about stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden all four of us were chatting or three of them were chatting and I was listening and they were talking about different languages, culture, food, politics, all this stuff. And I was just like, man, like, I don't, I can't contribute to anything that's being said. I don't really understand a whole lot of what's also being said and discussed. And so that was a really humbling point in my life. And of course I was, I think 18 at the time. And it was like, man, I need to learn about stuff. And so, so that was my journey of learning, uh, seeking knowledge, seeking wisdom. And, uh, that's what started me to, you know, kind of start reading books. Um, but the book reading didn't, didn't happen until I was uh, training for special forces. That's sort of interesting how you're like kind of blossom. I mean, because special forces is obviously super rigorous and you're sort of going through that mentally, physically, and also, you know, engaging with these new reading materials. Like what, what were some books that, you know, you read during that time 
that influenced you to who you are today? Curious. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, so fast forward a couple of years, I'm in the middle of training the Special Forces qualification course, and uh, I'm starting to read a lot of self help books. And one of them was Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and it was it was a perfect book for me at the time. And the biggest seed that was planted for me that I got from that book, uh, among amongst the the great wisdoms and, and teachings in there, is. Um, that I can design my life as I so choose. And at the time, I didn't know that that paradigm of thinking exists because I was just kind of moving through life. I was, you know, doing sports, then I joined the military. And then in the military, it's this linear path of excellence or success. It, they give you the formula. They, they give you the steps. They give you the, the next thing that you need to do, the schools and the deployments and all that. And it's a pretty easy thing to do from a linear standpoint, because you know exactly where you're going. Now, all you need to do is just, you know, gather that grit within yourself and take the next step and never quit, you know, which is uh, another different type of skill set that some people have, some people don't, or, you know, or, organically. So being able to know that I could choose my destination, choose my milestones in life, choose my experiences, that was something that I was like, man, that's a, that's a game changer for me. And I didn't fully act upon that, um, knowledge until about a decade later when I eventually got out of the military. How did you feel? I mean, cause obviously you probably grew up for a good amount being a young man joining the military, you know, cause some, a lot of people don't join different ages, but a lot of times 18 to 22 is when you get in, uh, you know, like what inspired you to read these self-help books? Because it's probably not something, you know, trying to qualify to be a green beret. Are they, are they asking you guys to read those books or is this something that you kind of picked up on your own and you were, you were sort of pursuing this separately from, you know, goals to. Yeah, they were definitely complimentary, but nobody was asking me to read four hour work week (laughs) uh, while I was training for special forces. Mm. But it's, uh, you know, whenever you have a mindset of upgrading, depending on how intense you are about that, that process, um, some people go halfway in, some people go three quarters, some people go all in. And, uh, for this kind of stuff, I go all in I either, you know, do the thing or I don't do it. And so by asking myself at the time, what book do I need to read? What knowledge do I need to soak up and then apply? Because a lot of people read a lot of books and they actually don't apply it. They, they're like, Oh, that was nice. Now I, now I know it here. But to actually integrate it and experientially embed it within yourself is where the real money is. Mm-hmm. And to be able to ask yourself, what book do I need to read? What book do I need to consume? And act and implement at this very moment. It's just this progressive process of upgrading. And, uh, and that's exactly what I was doing. So I was thinking about the time of, you know, how do I how do I crush special forces? How do I, you know, increase my mental capacity? How do I learn different areas of you know psychology and mm-hmm. and those aspects about myself that will help me intangibly as I move forward, especially on the special forces journey, to where it's a, it's a very much of a people uh, people game, you know, like reading people, knowing people, yeah. knowing how to assess assess if someone's like a good dude or or a bad dude, you know, because right. we would go different places in the world and and that would be part of the process. So, you know, body language, psychology, how people express all these different things that are very intangible mm-hmm. and, um, you know, 
it just takes practice to implement and integrate it into your, into your life. Yeah, most definitely. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like, it seems like you were probably developing, you know, relational skills and empathy by reading this stuff outside of special forces training that probably isn't, you know, common in special forces and not take anything away. But do you think that's something that, you know, should be incorporated? Cause, cause that to me is like probably the biggest skill I've learned as a man is just how to work on myself internally, whether that be spiritually, mentally, you know, how I am to myself, to other people. And that's translated, translated to how I am as an athlete, to how I am as a professional, you know, and I feel like the, you, you embody that because, you know, you have to be at the top sort of performance level that you can be at being in special forces. But I have a lot of friends that are retired SEALs or retired Green Berets, and they don't all think like you do, where you were like working on this sort of spiritual, you know, emotional part, as well as being, you know, doing all the training in the U.S. military, which is, you know, super difficult. And I mean, you're, you're welcome to get into that. I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into becoming a Green Beret. And it's just a ton of work, you know, to, to get to that level. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it started out as, as more of a cultural thing of how, how do I operate in the world to where I can walk anywhere in the world, any country, any unit, and in a, in a sense, be uh, in harmony with that particular interaction. So, you know, depending on what special operations force you're talking about, you know, it's like, you know, they're going to come in and say, hey, we're about to wreck shop. You guys got to listen to us. This is how it's going to be done. Let's get it, you know. And and there's definitely a, a mentality in special forces that is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also this cultural understanding, this kind of emotional intel- intelligence aspect to where we have to, you know, no, we don't have to, but it's it's advantageous for us to meet people where they're at, to be able to assess, you know, what their true intentions are with whatever they're doing. And then using that situation to the, you know, and or finding alignment with the, those things and the mission that we're there to do. And so it's, uh, you know, so it sounds like a lot of different things. And, and when you learn those skill sets separately, you know, it's a lot of different things, but then whenever you start to uh, have the experience, you just start to embed and, and weave those different aspects and they, and they just become second nature. So, um, mm-hmm. For, for the Green Beret specifically, there's definitely a level of cultural um, understanding and emotional intelligence, but it's it's still the military. It's still special operations. It's still crushing. It's still like, you know, the top 1% kind of thing. And, right. and uh, you know, that's just part of the deal, you know. So mm-hmm. um, the cool thing about the Green Berets is that um, there's a wide spectrum of different personalities because, um, you know, there's there's so many different types of missions. There is, you know, hard charging, door knocking, like let's blow some stuff up, let's shoot some guns. There's some more kind of uh, more sensitive activities. Mm-hmm. There's training types of missions. And so this full spectrum type of, um, you know, mission set for the Green Berets. And because of that, um, they need different types of guys. They can't just have one size fits all. Right. It's, it's, it's more of like a universal guy that when the moment calls for it, he's going to like crush a building, like just mm-hmm. go after it and also be able to walk into an embassy and know how to operate. And, uh, you know, some people are more chameleons and some people just have a, a natural tendency to be one or the other, or, um, so there's, there's all these different types of flavors of guy that is, um, attracted to, um, special forces. 
I feel like I've noticed that just within the friends I've made that have come from special forces, you know, it's just, they're all different in nuances. You know, they all have sort of this ethos that exists, you know, behind, but, but like you, like you spoke about, but they're very different human beings for sure. Um, especially in how they just approach, you know, like situational awareness and just situations as well. So fast forward from, you know, how, how long were you, were you in special forces and active? And then how did you get to doing what you're doing now? Cause that's, way different than, you know, <laughs> jumping out of a plane somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, I spent about, uh, seven years or eight, seven or eight years in special forces on a team. Uh, I was on two different teams and, uh, the two combat rotations to Iraq and then, uh, did a lot of training all over Europe and, um, was, uh, down in, in uh, Africa for a little bit. And so just had a lot of wide ranging experiences from the desert to the Arctic to, the city to the rural to the, you know, all these different types of experiences. And, uh, you know, I'm always grateful for all the opportunities that I had to do a really whole bunch of cool stuff, Mm -hmm. um, in the military. And it was just a really enriching experience. Um, but there was a point where, you know, the, the seed that Tim Ferriss had planted inside and said, Hey, you can design your own life, um, kept on blossoming or growing, if you will. And so by the time, uh, 2016, my wife and I we were in Germany at the time and, uh, we were talking, okay, what do we want to do? You would, you know, cause it was, at, I was at a, at the 12 year mark and that's the kind of one of the, you know, critical periods to where like, if you, uh, reenlist at around 12 years, you're, you're basically going 20. Right. And, uh, so I was like, okay, do I really want to do that? You know? And so ultimately I decided that I wanted to do something different and what that different was, I wasn't very clear at all, but I had this deep knowing within me that I was supposed to take these lessons and experiences that I learned in special forces, leadership, travel, all this stuff and do, do something in the world to make it a better place. Basically that was about all the clarity I had. So, um, 2017, I left the military. Uh, my wife and I were in Germany and then we, Came back to the U.S. We did a large cross America road trip, 37 states over three months and just had the one of the most incredible times of our lives. Um, just seeing the different cultures and the people and the foods and friends and family and all this really cool stuff that the U.S. has to offer. And it was just a really beautiful time. Um, then after that, we moved down to Panama for about a year and a half. And uh, we, we have some family down there. My, my wife was born down in Panama. Her dad was an Air Force guy. and But at age about one or so, she uh, ended up moving to the U.S. and grew up grew up here in Colorado. So uh, we had a really incredible time. You know, so there was two things happening simultaneously while I was living in Panama. Is it was um, having a good life. We did quite a bit of traveling, exploring all over Panama, having good times with good friends, good people, good family. And, but simultaneously, I was, I was having this journey of what am I really supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know, and that uh, transition piece from the military to the next thing that you do is different for every veteran, but it's uh, almost always there's a, there's a difficult patch. There's, mm-hmm. there's difficulty. And for me, um, taking the high standards from the special forces uh, and applying that to knowing what I need to do, I was relentless in finding that true alignment in what I needed to do in life. And so it was several years before I actually got some like good 
um, traction with, with my path in life. I was doing a lot of great things, um, but it was stalling out. I wanted to help people with travel, very little success. I wrote like a little ebook about travel and how it could be used as a tool for transformation, mm-hmm. great information. And I still use some of that stuff and, you know, in, in, intuitively with, uh, some of the things that we're doing now, but it just wasn't, wasn't the right thing, you know? And so, um, I, you know, long story short, we were living down in Panama and, uh, I was part of a veteran, veteran entrepreneur group and, um, called the Vetpreneur tribe. Uh, some guy that was in there, he, he had posted, uh, in the, in the group and he said, Hey, uh, I just got back from a masculine awakening ceremony in Peru. And I was like, Hmm, that's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of called to me. So I contacted him and I was asking him like, so what's this about? And then he was kind of talking about it. And he's a, he's a powerful talker, fast talker. And it was just, I was just like, wow. Like I, yeah. I feel like I need to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, Fast forward a couple months, uh, we were living in Panama still. Some friends of ours went down to Peru and they were telling us about their trip. And immediately, like right after my wife and I were like, yeah, we got to go. And so we literally bought tickets like 30 minutes after that lunch. And uh, we didn't have a plan. All we, we just looked at dates and we were there for like eight days or so. And uh, we bought the plane tickets. And then I, I reached out to Steven. I was like, hey, what was that thing you were talking about? <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, so that that started this uh, very spiritual aspect of my journey, um, okay. the uh, powerful, beautiful awakening in Peru. And how old were you at that time? So this was 2018. Um, so that was what I was about 29, 30. And how long had you been out at that point? You just um, got out, or are you still about in? a year? Okay, year, year and a half by that time. <clears throat> so when, when this, when Steven came up and he's like this masculine awakening, I mean, that's not a common thing. I feel like people here in the U S right. Uh, you could probably agree with that, right. With how we were yeah. raised. Right. So when you heard that term, like what, what first, I'm mean, obviously he's a good, you know, he's a good speaker. He, he, you know, he told you what was going on, but what first came in your mind when you heard the term masculine awakening, like, what did you think? Yeah. So, uh, obviously with my background, you know, it, Special Forces Alpha, mm. you know, Operation Detachment Alpha, you know, masculine was kind of part of the the deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm. uh, especially in my early years as a Green Beret, I, I leaned a little bit too hard in that. <laughs> and uh, but traveling experience and all that kind of stuff uh, rounded me out, and especially getting married rounded me out definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you, Allie, my wife, for helping me with that aspect of myself. Um, but yeah, so when he when he said that. The feeling was just like there's a deeper masculine, there's a deeper knowing, there's a there's something more profound in the masculine that I knew intuitively that was there within me and within you know all bros out there. Um, being able to tap into that, I think, is uh, requires a special part in your journey, a special openness, and um, I think also you know have come, coming from that kind of background, you know, special operations. There's a, you know, a beautiful kind of synthesis of being able to master your energies about yourself or master all the aspects of yourself, including, you know, what what masculine really means. Mm -hmm. And so um, experiencing, you know, Peru that first time, there was absolutely a masculine awakening experience for me. And it centered around... um, this idea of providership and connection, 
And so it was, it was this idea that when I have myself figured out, I'm a whole person. I got nothing to prove to the world. I'm just doing exactly what I need to be doing, being who exactly who I am. And whenever that happens within yourself, it's, it, it radiates this type of energy that like people are like, man, this guy's just like, he just knows himself and mm-hmm. he's not trying to prove anything. And I think that he could help me in a non-biased, non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. And so I think for, for me, the, the perspective of non-judgment is a huge aspect of masculinity and not having to prove things to the world or to other people. That dude, that resonates with me so much because I think as a, as a man, like it, you know, I've consistently, you know, and I had a, a pretty stable upbringing with my grandfather bringing my my father was in my life, but he was my sort of, you know, uh, masculine figure growing up and he was a, a very amazing human being. Um, so he taught me a lot of sort of balance and diversity within the masculine, but we hear the term toxic masculinity thrown around so much these days. Right. And it's a term that sort of bothers me because there's toxic parts of, of both sort of uh, sexual, you know, orientation or sorry, sexes. But, um, you know, I think within, within sort of the patriarchal society within masculinity i think that a lot of men you know are tapped into one thing maybe maybe we could align it with you know how you were in your sort of early years as a green beret because i feel like that was sort of me in my you know late teens to early 20s you know uh pursuing pro sports or you know i, I was i had goals which was great but um, i was defined by my success with what I was doing, you know, very much so with appearance or with, you know, following or whatever. Right. And at some point, uh, you know, I realized internally that uh, it didn't matter how much I got out of that. I still felt empty. I still felt this immense loneliness and disconnection with something that I couldn't really explain at the time. And I think, you know, I've always been a, a deep uh, young man, but I think that what I was missing was really that connection with myself. You know, I think, uh, you know, I had a good friend ask me uh, when I was 24, or 25, if I loved myself, you know, and I had never mm-hmm. been asked that question before, maybe outside of therapy. And I was like, thought about it. I was like, I don't think I do, you know, and it was an interesting question to answer at that time, because, um, you know, one, it's hard to admit that, you know, because it, it just kind of baffles you when you hear that for the first time, you're like, do I love myself? Like, what kind of question is that? Yeah, you know? yeah. And then when you don't have a legitimate answer, like when you can't say, of course I do, you know, like these are the ways I practice it. it it's kind of like, shocks the shit out of you in a way where you're like, you know, I can have love for other people, but I don't love myself. It's kind of weird, you know? Um, and so I think since then I've been really sort of trying to redefine what masculinity means to me and, and I've, you know, fallen short along the way and I'm still learning, but I'm curious, like, you know, with your journey, like what is like, I mean, you, you said sort of like providership and then what was the second part that you said? Connection. Connection. So if those things define healthy masculinity, how as men, do we walk towards those ideals, you know, from ground zero? Yeah. So I think uh, having powerful experiences of connection to experientially have them in your life is first and foremost, the most important thing that you can do because mm-hmm. the idea of connection, you know, from a theoretical conceptual standpoint is great, you know, to, to have it here in the head is, is awesome. But uh, until you experience it and live it from the heart, you're never going to actually know. And it's that knowing of connection that, that I think has the potential to permanently reset your own default of what masculinity means for you. And so experience of connection, I think is one of the most important things that people can do. And um, we'll probably talk about it later, but, you know, having powerful retreats and having Mm -hmm. a a beautiful, powerful container to where Mm -hmm. people can be open and connect with other people 
in a really meaningful way. That's a, that's a definite way to do it. Um, and also just nourishing your relationships that you currently have with significant other friends and letting go of, you know, I think they're going to judge me because I'm going to express something authentic, yeah. you know? So being able to allow yourself to express exactly who you are in this moment and allowing that authenticity to almost burn away the bullshit that is your old self, the old story or the limitations that you're putting on yourself. And so by having trusted people that you can connect with on an authentic level, you know, are definite ways to move forward with imperfect action. And because of that imperfect action, you're able to actually let go of the old story and feel that connection. And it's unmistakable. It's undeniable. Mm -hmm. It's that feeling to where like, man, this is like, just a good person. Like, man, let's go do some stuff. I don't even care what we do, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just that feeling of connection and it's undeniable. So when you start feeling and experiencing it, then you can take it to the next level or then you can start to, you know, help other people spark that connection within themselves. I love that, man. And, and I appreciate you saying that specifically because one of the things I feel like that lacks, especially in Western culture and the U.S., is that sense of brotherhood, like community within men, right? A lot of times, you know, coming from a sports background or a military background, like, you know, you can be around a lot of men but not have that connection because you talk about openness. And I don't think it's a common thing in our culture to really teach young men, young boys to be open, you know, to express your emotions, to get in touch with your feelings. Where are you feeling it? Why are you feeling it? You know, it's it, we're very much a a sort of um, reactionary animal, you know, not very responsive. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, where you, the, the space where you come from, you, you have to be very sort of methodical in a lot of ways you approach situations, you know, and, and of course, you know, there's mistakes made all over the place, but, but the way I think you train your mind with a special forces or special operations background is, you know, very methodical, right? I can even hear how you like present ideas while we're talking. And I guess, you know, with, with yourself, like, how have you developed, you know, connection with other men in your life, like a brotherhood where you can be open, where you do have a safe container? Because that's something that's quite hard for, I think, a lot of men that want it uh, to achieve. Because a lot of times there's very surface level relationships, you know, it's like bro culture, you know, you you really talk about very surface level shit, you know, um, and I'm not knocking that. I think there's a time and place for that too, right? But I think, you know, as men, we do need to be able to connect and open up more. And one of the things that we don't do in the U.S. is like hug each other. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you go to other countries, you go to France, you go to Italy, like men embrace each other. You know, it's like it's like a brotherhood, families, like friends, whatever. In the U.S. is very much distant, sort of like, you know, stand, you know, a couple feet away from me, shake your hand, you know, firm handshake. Yeah. You know, and I think that like that physical connection, uh, especially for heterosexual men, you know, it's like we got we got to have that, too. It's a piece of connecting with each other. You know, it's like also telling, you know, another man that you're friends with that you love this person. You know, that's another thing, right, that we don't I don't hear that a lot at all. Thankfully, I was raised by a man that that did that with me a lot. And he did have a military background, which is weird because, you know, with his sons, he was super militaristic, you know, and then he was he's my grandfather. So, you know, as you age, you soften. And like you said, like marriage softens you usually like relationships, you know, and he opened. So I got him when he was older and he was very much, you know, very like loving to me. Um, But he was different with his you know, sons, for instance. So I'm curious, like you probably have a lot of perspectives. How do we develop brotherhood, you know, on an authentic, deep, open level with each other? Uh, I'm sure, you know, you talk about it starts within, but we really need to develop that community in our society, right? To heal a lot of the, I, I would say like unhealthy parts of the masculine we've built up. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of layers to it. 
And uh, you spoke of it starting within, and that's absolutely true. So, you know, in the book that we, Stephen Kuhn, my business partner, I wrote, um, Unleash Your Humble Alpha, it starts out with identity, who you are and how you interact in the world. And then it moves to, to what you do or your purpose. And that's where it begins of not needing to prove anything to the world. And so I think that that's one of the, one of the biggest things. And then the second biggest thing, you know, we're talking from kind of the macro perspective is actually caring about your fellow brother. So when you have nothing to prove to anybody and you actually care, you can be exactly who you need to be in that moment to either be a a listening ear, be a guy that has some profound advice to say nothing, to say everything, to just go on a walk with them, whatever they need you to be in that moment, because you have nothing to prove and you're not trying to push your agenda or anything like that, you're just there because you care. You're able to create that container of whatever it needs to be. And because of that, they're able to slightly let go of some stuff or mm-hmm. uh, continue that, that trust within you. So that way that they can work on themselves, they can, they can maybe get a little bit more vulnerable than they have with anybody else in the entire world, because you don't have any judgment. You don't have anything to prove and you genuinely care and they can feel that. Do you find part of uh, someone feeling comfortable with being vulnerable with you? Uh, it, part of it like involves you opening up and sharing something that's vulnerable as well too. Uh, do you find that like, you know, sort of like wounds invite wounds to come in or, you know, is it just sort of providing space for someone to be vulnerable? You know, how do you approach that? Me personally, it's uh, it's about a frequency, so to speak. To where the since the judgment is removed and all they're left is this kind of empty void. It's a it's a concept we call creating space in our book. It's a really, it's probably one of the most powerful, you know, concepts in there. But the idea is that if it's just you and I right now, there's this invisible kind of bubble around us. And our only intention is that the best thing that can happen in this interaction, in this moment, this time, that it's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know what ideas are going to blossom. I don't know what kind of insights are going to happen. I don't know what kind of laughter, joy. None of that stuff is, all that stuff's on the table. And it's up to a higher power for us to create that container. And then whatever needs to happen is going to happen. And so with that kind of framework or that idea is that I'm going to create some space with somebody. I'm just going to create this empty void of non-judgment, of true care, true love, and say, what what needs to happen? What does this moment call for? And if you, the, the more that we tap into our intuition, the more that we are able to, you know, cast or you know, set the ego aside for a little while and say, hey, you know, I love you, but you know, you just gonna have to sit down next to me for a little while. We're gonna, you know, we got to do something right here, and allowing whatever needs to be said. So. Um, there's a really beautiful exercise that, that we do is basically the idea of just listening to somebody. And because a lot of times when we're thinking about something too much, it's been on our mind for days, weeks, months, maybe even longer, we're, we're just bottling it up. And we have an opportunity to express something with our voice. And a lot of times we get cut off or the other person is trying to think about what they're going to say or interrupt with some advice or like, "Mm, yeah, 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 I get you. I get you. And that's, you know, all that stuff has its time. 
but sometimes all we need to do is just hold space. And so mm-hmm. my approach on um, openness and and allowing people to open up and, and be vulnerable if they need to or say what they need to say is is that's just my operating system now. It's my default. And so it's not like I'm flipping a switch, like I got to be extra, like, you know, open or I got to tell them a, you know, a story, you know, because sometimes some people need that. And, but that's where the, the, the macro behind that, that technique or strategy is the creating space because maybe two times out of 10 is the, is the time for me to share, you know, a similar experience and how I was able to overcome it. And, but maybe that's only two out of 10 and the other eight. And if, if I just operate from a state or of of macro or, or tapping into what the moment calls for, then it's much easier for me to just, instead of strategizing about life, I'm living it fully present and receiving the message of what I need to say, how I need to ha- act in this moment, how, how I, I need to behave. Do I need to be still? Do I need to, t- to speak? And the more we tap into that and set that intention, the more, the easier it happens in our life. And it just becomes this, it's just life. You know, I'm not trying to help mm-hmm. anybody. I'm just a walking person exactly who I am. And I radiate those frequencies of exactly who I am. And it just so happens that sometimes, you know, somebody asks me something or I, I listen or whatever the moment calls for. Incredible, man. I, I, I love that entire answer. I, I want to ask a follow-up question to that is I feel like one of the things, you know, I struggled with and I still struggle with is uh, self-forgiveness, right? When we make a mistake, how do we deal with making mistakes, right? And I think it's really hard to provide legitimate, non-judgmental space for another until we stop judging ourselves, you know, be such a, the A-type personality and the masculine is like, you know, self-critical, like to the extent where you make a mistake, you know, you ruminate on it for months, years, you know, and a lot of times, uh, not a lot of, I'm just gonna focus on men specifically, but not a lot of men, you know, practice self-forgiveness. It exists in, in both uh, sexes, but how in your life have you, you know, and I'm assuming that you've, you've probably gotten better at, you know, uh, dealing with mistakes because of like your mindset and how you've healed and how you've grown. You know, what do you, you know, what's your thought process with mistakes now? Well, well, being able to provide that those safe containers, not only for another person, but for yourself, how do you go about that in your daily life? Yeah. So it's about, um, you can't help, but express exactly who you are. And every, and again, it's this idea that everything comes from within and, you can't love other people until you love yourself. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, there's an act that you can do that is um, kind of like love in a way. And there's some love in there, but to the degree that you love yourself is the, is to the degree that you can love other people. Same thing with forgiveness. If you can never forgive yourself or if you only forgive yourself some mostly, that's the, the limit of which you can forgive other people. So it's about, you know, doing the work within yourself and being able to address why that's a sticking point within yourself. And it's about, um, you know, this, the the whole um, journey of healing from aspects like this is, is is a whole another topic for sure. Um, But I think from the macro perspective is surrounding yourself by people that have already done it and being able to allow their frequency of I've forgiven myself 
to in a osmosis like way allow that to affect you positively to positively influence yourself and so by you know like same adage with as mentors coaches advisors if someone's already done that in in a real true way it's much easier for them to give you advice on how you can figure it out yourself maybe not necessarily tell you exactly what to do or how to do it but they they lead you to the next step with questions because it's uh we all know how rewarding it is to get to a really powerful place and when i mean powerful i mean loving yourself knowing yourself and you know being filled with joy and and laughter and playfulness and creating the reality that you desire you know so those powerful states it's it's a very rewarding place to be whenever you've i don't want to say if you figured it out but it's uh i think it's more meaningful if someone just didn't tell you the formulas mm-hmm. you know and so all these different ways in which you need to forgive yourself love yourself it must come from within first you have to do it within yourself and then you're able to then express that lack of non-forgiveness or lack of non-love or lack of non-judgment with other people. Wonderful. Let's, let's talk, let's get into the retreat aspect of your, and then start that with your experience in Peru, right? Like what was that like? What did that entail? If you don't mind sharing? Uh, And, you know, I'm sure that influenced what you're doing now, you know, with your two friends, you know, harboring these retreats. So can you, can you talk about your first experience with a retreat in that setting and then how that's blossomed into, you know, what you guys are offering now? Yeah. So uh, Peru, yeah, was my first kind of spiritual retreat, if you will. And it was a hybrid of uh, spiritual plant medicine, um, exploration of ancient ruins, you know, all these different things. And, uh, you know, deep in my heart, I'm a curious explorer and kind of got some Indiana Jones vibes going on. You know, I like to go to the places that most people don't go and being able to say, Hey, you know what? I've been to that place that most people, and especially in a way that, that 99% of people don't get to experience it. So that, that's me personally. That's just part of like what I like to do in life. Um, so this, this first retreat was incredibly powerful. We had several plant medicine ceremonies and, uh, so we had San Pedro and ayahuasca Mm -hmm. and, uh, mixed in with some very powerful, um, powerful places that have energetic signatures. So, uh, the place that we work in, in, uh, Cusco, we, our friends have a mountain house, um, near this, uh, ancient place called, uh, Temple of the Moon. And in, in addition to Temple of the Moon, there's about 20, 25 other sacred sites, ancient sites that are, have been there for thousands of years and just have such a deep history, uh, deep, um, wisdom embedded into these, uh, temples and structures and, and these different places. And um, just being surrounded by people that have been doing this stuff for a long time and going to these very special places and then allowing the plant medicine to get me into a, an expanded state of awareness and allow all of those things to do exactly what they need to do. And being able to have these powerful paradigm shifts and upgrades um, uh, is one of the best ways to grow, to let go, to step into, because uh, some of the things that we talk about is um, 
many people try to strategize or use tactics to upgrade or level up. Mm-hmm. And while that is definitely a thing, um, it's, it's gotten us really far. Now we're in a time where paradigm upgrades or paradigm shifts absolutely collapse time from, I, you know, being able to say, Hey, I need a couple of years in order for me to implement this new upgrade or level up to like, some of them are days, you mm-hmm. know, like hours, days, and sometimes weeks, depending on how open or how, uh, you know, what our journey looks like. So being able to um, allow just an expanded state of mind and to be exposed to different paradigms. And then we're now in a position to choose what we want to believe, mm-hmm. choose a paradigm in which we want to think, you know? And so if, for instance, if we think struggle is just part of life, that we got to struggle, that we got to earn our way to, you know, receive the type of life that we desire, then that's going to be the operating system and reality that is presented to us. But if we believe that, yes, there is struggle, but I don't have to struggle for everything, for every piece of growth that I experience, sometimes it doesn't have to be struggle. It could be that it could be this effortless, beautiful, powerful shift just like that. And to say, oh man, like how, how, how did I grow that fast? And it wasn't even that hard. Mm-hmm. Like that's a paradigm upgrade. That's a paradigm shift versus I got to, I got to work. And, and that's kind of like the difference between the, you know, hustle mentality versus um, setting powerful intentions mm-hmm. and then moving forward with imperfect action. Wow. Now what a powerful saying right there. So after that experience, did you know that you wanted to start hosting retreats of your own or did it take a while for you to just be like, all right, this is, this is something I want to get into. And, you know, when did you meet your, your two partners at the time to, you guys have this trifecta, you know, that you have going on with healing. When did this whole thing evolve? I'm really curious, you know, how long did it take you to get to this point? Yeah. So the first retreat was 2018 and, um, you know, at the time it wasn't, I wasn't in a space to, uh, guide people or lead people through retreats like this. Cause I had a lot of work to do myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was, it was, uh, probably six to eight months after that experience in Peru that, you know, my now business partner, Stephen Kuhn and I, we, we take people and entrepreneurs and veterans down to Peru for, um, this type of experience. And, and it's, a, it's different every year. This past year we were there, uh, we did a combo session. So we added animal medicine, um, so frog medicine that was really, really powerful, uh, really allowing us to purge all these different types of stuff, especially for military veterans, being mm-hmm. able to purge, you know, toxins, uh, things that they absorbed. Like for me, like a lot of explosives, a lot of lead from guns, you know, and all these different places that we've been allowing that to just purge from our body in a, in a very physical way. And there's other layers of purging that energetically, spiritually, mentally that uh, combo frog offers during those kind of sessions. So Stephen and I, we, we were doing a couple, we did a couple of these uh, retreats down in Peru. And uh, then Stephen links up with uh, our friend, Jesse Tedisco. And, and uh, within two minutes, Jesse's like, Hey, Stephen, are you, uh, are you like spiritual or something? <laughs> yeah. Just cause just kind of the way Stephen was talking. And he's like, uh, yeah. And so they started riffing on all that. And uh, they had a really great, great uh, conversation and podcast. And uh, so they were chatting for a little while. And this was um, last year, I believe. And um, 
And then Jesse was talking to Stephen about, hey, you know, plant medicine and this and this and spirituality. And Stephen was like, hey, you should probably talk to Lane. Uh, you know, he's really into that and he could probably help you out. And so then Jesse and I started talking and uh, that was mid last year or so or later last year. And uh, Jesse and our friend Tori, they have known each other for several years now and mm. uh, in different kinds of capacities with businesses and stuff like that and client client work. And, um, so anyways, Jesse and I were like, Hey, let's, let's, uh, put on like a little men's retreat or something like that. And so January, 2001 this year, um, we decided we were going to, you know, just gather some, some bros and, uh, you know, have a little retreat Mm -hmm. and it was a, a beautiful, powerful retreat. And, uh, you know, we went to Northern Georgia, we did some cold water therapy, plant medicine, meditation, Qigong, a little bit of breath work. And of course, it was that brotherhood that you kind of spoke of before that was, you know, that's the connection piece to where, yeah, you know, we're all on the same journey. Our, our, the details might be different, but we're all on the, the same universal path, so to speak, mm-hmm. trying to just live our best lives, having good times with good people and helping other people do the same thing. Yeah. So we had that experience in January and immediately afterwards, we we're like, we got to do this again. We got to, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. And then uh, I know Tori and Jesse were talking about doing some stuff, like putting on a retreat event or something like that. And it just so happened that, you know, we're just like, Hey, let's us three, let's, let's see what it looks like. And so then we started having the conversation and uh, immediately felt resonating because we have these different elements or different aspects and different skill sets between the three of us to, really create a beautiful container for people to step into and do the healing, do the work, have the experience that they need to have. And uh, I think w- within a couple of weeks after we started talking, we, we just set a date, set a place and it was, it was on, you know, and uh, we had a retreat uh, recently in uh, Georgia, really beautiful place um, called Elohi. And uh, we had 16 people there and it was just a magical experience and so beautiful, so powerful, so profound, so much healing. And uh, it was just every single moment was exactly what it needed to be. And so after that retreat, we're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to keep on doing this. So we got uh, uh, the next one's planned for Sedona. Uh, d- dates are uh, being finalized as we speak. So very excited about that. And uh, there's a lot of really cool things that are in the works to not only have a beautiful experience in a weekend retreat, but how do we um, set ourselves up for the most powerful experience leading up to it, have the experience, begin to integrate the lessons that we learned all in, as an individual and as a group, and then most importantly, take action and implement it into the world to where it's, it's great to be a, a wisdom philosopher, but actually being able to take that wisdom and create within the world and to embed that wisdom into whatever it is that you create, whether that's a book a business, a course, a product, a service, a moment, whatever it is. Would you say that part of your healing process has been to help others heal? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible, man. I, I wonder if you um, think it's essential, you know, is one of the byproducts of these retreats quite often an ego death for people? I think, uh, if it's not if it's not a full blown ego ego death, there's there's definitely some ego like 
punching him in the face kind of thing, you know? <laughs> uh, he might not have died, but he got, got some good licks in. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, what, so what, what can people ex- like expect to experience, you know, should they attend, let's say the Sedona retreat or, you know, what, what are some things that, let's say someone's never been to a retreat like this before, right? What are some of the things that they could, uh, you know, plan on experiencing? Yeah. So a lot of times when you go to this, there's probably some feelings of anxiety or questions within yourself. Like, am I going to fit in? Are these people going to vibe with me? Like what's going to happen? You know, and there's also the the internal stuff that's like, man, if I really figure some stuff out, like, what am I left with? Mm. You know, if I, if I, if I transform too much, am I going to have to leave my family or am I going to have to leave my job or am I going to do something crazy or you know, so there's a lot of questions that are being asked whenever a lot of people go to these types of retreats. And it's fair, you know, it's fair to ask those questions. Um, but I think that whenever they show up, there's an immediate energetic difference that it is felt. And there's people that actually care. There's people that have figured out a lot of stuff about themselves. They've explored their mind. They've, they've explored themselves and say, hey, I can love myself and I can love other people. I'm a, I'm a bro and I can give you a hug. Mm-hmm. I'm a bro and I can tell you I love you. And mm-hmm. it's not about being sexual. It's about just being truly caring in an intimate moment. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's going to be a group of people that have done the work and have um, allowed themselves to remove judgment to, to a, a really great degree and to allow you just to be exactly who you are. And if exactly who you are right now in this moment is a little bit scared and got a little fear in you, that's perfectly okay. But mm-hmm. but the the magic behind these retreats are is that when you have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen people that are operating at a high frequency, if you aren't, you quickly will be. Because it's it's just the natural byproduct of the the potent energetic fields of people that are just good people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you walk into a room and everybody's laughing, like you're gonna start laughing. It's, it's, it's contagious and that's, and, and replace laughter with having good times, healing, uh, stepping into your greatness, letting go of your old story, being able to do all those different things in a really easy way, because it's just, everybody's doing it. You know, it's the opposite is like, you know, if you're a good person and, and, you know, you're hanging out with a whole bunch of druggies and stuff, like you have to be really strong to, to not succumb to the, the normal of that group. You know, and so, um, I, because I believe that, you know, love is more powerful than hate, than being able to have dozens of people radiating love, radiating wisdom, radiating light and offering their themselves to be exactly who they need to be in that moment to help somebody that's kind of feeling down about themselves or been not having good thoughts about themselves. And, you know, it's just people that care, that have done the work and that are helping other people to care and do the work. Man, what a powerful mes- message to end on, dude. I, I want to give you the opportunity. So where can people, first of all, thank you, Lane, for coming on and talking today. I think people are going to love this episode. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you know, like a social media website. Where can people find details to the retreat? And uh, yeah, just give me, give, me your, give me your plug, man. What, what do you have going on? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I'm, I'm most active probably on Instagram. So at increase freedom, um, I like to hang out on Instagram, do 
fun stories or whatever it is, you know, and, and talk about some of the stuff that I'm talking or that I talk about. Cause we haven't talked about the book. We haven't talked about the investment fund. We haven't talked about the veterans group, you know, so there's, yeah. there's a lot of aspects of myself that, um, you know, just depending on where you're at in your journey, that if you're a veteran, then you're, you'll, you'll find a place where we, where we can help you elevate yourself and to empower yourself. And, um, but, um, yeah. So Instagram is probably the best way to link up and ask any questions. Like, you know, I'm free to, um, answer any DMS of like, Hey, where's this at? Or what's that? Um, uh, we'll add the, the links to the, uh, to, to the vortexes of light, um, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if people are interested in, um, the book, they can go to humblealphabook.com, which is, uh, where Steven and I, we, we host, uh, you can find out more information about what that book's about. Um, for me, it's about taking basically the, the core of what that book stands for and use that as an operating manual to already begin the process of figuring out who you are, how you interact in the world and what you want to do. And then how can you empower other people and have just a really incredible quality of life? Mixing that mentality with these retreats is a really potent way to shift your paradigm in a very, very fast way to where, Mm. I mean, within months you could be, you know, having joy in your life, feeling the personal power that you know you, that you know you have within you, but you may not be expressing to hang out with the right people that are always going to uplift you and have your back, you know, to have that sense of community and connection and to be able to do things exactly how you want to do it. Whether that's, if you want to create music, if you want to create art, if you want to create businesses, you want to, whatever it is that's within your heart, that's, that's the path. And by mixing these kind of two aspects of, you know, principles and values from the book and, and having experiential retreats, you know, is a really potent way to move forward in life. Is there a limit you guys are putting on the amount of people that can attend in Sedona? Yeah, there will, there will be a limit. Um, I think, um, probably 30 or 40, uh, which is quite a few people. Um, but Mm -hmm. there is so much interest with the first one. And I think pretty much everybody that, that, uh, joined the first one has like five people like, Hey, you got to go to this next one in Sedona. Mm -hmm. So, um, I anticipate the numbers coming up fast. And, uh, if you're interested, uh, hit myself, Tori, Jesse, shoot us a DM. We'll answer any questions. And, uh, it's going to be a really powerful experience. So for this one, um, because of Sedona and its nature of vortexes, which, you know, is great for vortexes of light to meet in Sedona where vortexes are hanging out. Um, we're focusing the, the entire, um, retreat on energy. What is energy? How do you tap into it? How to use energy to your advantage? You know, all these different aspects. And then we experientially, uh, or we experience them at the retreat and then, and after that, we um, integrate and then implement. Beautiful, man. I'm going to put the link to everything that Lane was just talking about in the description, guys. If you're interested in the retreat, please check it out. Please don't hesitate to send either of uh, the three that are holding this retreat on a message and reach out with questions. I'm definitely going to be there myself. I know I missed the the Georgia one because I had eye surgery, um, but I really wanted to go to that one, and it, and it sounded like it was such a special experience. Um, but I'm excited to to meet all you guys in person. Uh, and I live right up the street from Sedona. So they're uh, constantly, and it's a, it's a magical place to connect with people as well too. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. It's going to be a great time and look forward to meeting you in person and doing some really fun, cool stuff.
Lane, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on, dude, and sharing, you know, your wisdom and your experiences and your your stories with us. And we'll have to have you on again. I feel like I, I have so many questions. You know, there's so many things we covered, but so many things we didn't. Uh, and, you know, you're obviously a very special human being. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, for everybody out there that's listening, you know, you got this. There's greatness within you. And just keep on taking the next step. Imperfect action will lead to the vision that you know is your new reality. 